It's always a joy for us to be here in uh, Cambria and uh, to meet some new faces and to uh, fellowship with those that we have uh, had the joy of fellowshipping with before. Uh, we do want to thank you uh, as one of your supported missionaries for your prayer and uh, for your financial support and uh, for just caring about us and caring for us. And uh, we always uh, are blessed by the uh, Christmas in July. And uh, my wife has to remind me, no, you didn't miss Christmas, dear. It's uh, just a little different the way they do it in Cambria. But uh, it is, you know, it is a blessing to us. And I was a pastor for many years, and we were involved in things to help our missionaries. And sometimes we weren't sure how much they were blessed by that. But I will tell you, uh, being on the other end of it now, it is a blessing to us. So uh, just to encourage you in that ministry that you have every year. Uh, We have a website for our state fellowship. It's carbc.org. And a lot of information about the California Association of Regular Baptist Churches is on the website. Uh, Some of that material I will also have next week in our display But we are a group of almost 100 churches uh, throughout California, two churches in Nevada, and we are bound together by a desire to reach our communities with the gospel, to stand true to the historic truths of the Word of God, and that is where the term regular comes in. It it was the idea of Orthodox Baptists when, uh, uh, starting uh, at least 100 years ago, Uh, but coming to uh, really uh, ahead in the early 1900s, a division among those who believed the historic truths and those who began to deny truths like the deity of Christ and the inspiration of the Bible and the inerrancy of the Bible. And as that rift became greater, there were groups that started like the California Association of Regular Baptist Churches that said, we are going to stand on the historic truths. And our group started in 1929. Next year, in uh, April, in uh, El Monte, we are going to celebrate our 90th anniversary at the uh, one of the 10 churches that were part of the uh, original 10 churches of the CARBC. Two of them are still in existence and part of our fellowship, and one of those is the church in El Monte. And so we're looking forward to that 90th anniversary praising God for his goodness to us as a fellowship of churches. Margie and I do travel a lot throughout the state helping uh, churches and pastors, churches that are in transition between pastors. I spend a lot of time on the phone talking with the lay people from churches and uh, with pastors, talking about situations in their church, in their families, Uh, everything that uh, happens to you and your family can happen to a pastor and his family, Uh, situations that that churches face. Uh, What I have told people, everything that I faced as a pastor from the time I was 23 to the time I was 65 during that period of time, everything that happened, both good and bad in ministry, is part of what I draw upon and all of it I draw upon in talking to pastors and just helping them work through different situations and just encouraging them and praying with them. So that is what we do. I'm, some call them a pastor to pastors, but, but I'm more than that. I, I'm really concerned about 
the people in the pew and our lay people in our churches, and uh, that is the strength of our churches. Our pastors uh, have areas of leadership, but uh, the pastor is not the church. It's, it's the entire congregation, and so I'm concerned and, and interested in knowing the people of the church as well as the uh, pastoral leadership of the church. One of the questions I often asked myself as a pastor was this, is this church making an impact in this community? Now, I pastored a little church, started a little church in Oregon out in the country, uh, south of Salem. Uh, we were there about two and a half years uh, before I went to seminary, between college and seminary. And we were starting to make an impact in that community. We were starting to gather a group of people to come together in that community. But I asked myself, as we go out knocking on doors as we... Uh, meet on Sunday in the, at the uh, public school, are we making an impact in the community? And then when I pastored in uh, Strathmore in the San Joaquin Valley, I asked the same question in that small community. Are we having an impact? Are people's lives being changed because we are here as a church? And the same thing when I pastored in Santa Maria for 24 years. Are we making an impact in this part of the Santa Maria Valley? And the, the, the point is, if the church is a lighthouse, if we're to shine as lights, and if the church together is a lighthouse, is the light shining brightly? Would anybody notice if we no longer met? Now, if you tore down the building, everybody would notice. But if nobody was here right now, if we were all gone, the rapture had happened yesterday, would, Tom, wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't that have been a great reunion yesterday? Then would people notice, hey, there's nobody over at First Baptist Church today. You know, maybe they're all meeting out in a park somewhere. So they, they, the community would wonder what's going on. But that's my question. Is the church making such an impact in the community that the church was gone that the people would say, what has happened to that church? We miss that church. They have influenced us for God in this town. And then that question raises another question, and that's the question I want to answer this morning. What kind of a church, what are the qualities of a church that does have an impact, that is influential in a community? And I want you to go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And if you're using the Bible in the pew, it is page 986 in your pew Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, I'm using the New King James Bible. Your pew Bible is English Standard Version. Uh, they are very close. Uh, and, uh, but let me just read uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, and God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Savior, our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, 
having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This message centers around verse 7. You became examples. You became people who had an influence. You became people who made an impact. The church in Thessalonica was an example to these other churches. That word example is the word tupos. We get the word type from that. And as you can see in the notes that you have in your bulletin, the word indicates the impression made by a blow, such as a seal on wax, an impression struck on a coin, or an engraving on stone. In your closet somewhere, in your family history somewhere, there is this wonderful invention that was the combination of a keyboard and a printer. It was called a typewriter. And we get that word type from this word tupas, and you know in that typewriter you had a mechanical system where you'd punch a key and another key would come up with a letter on it that made an impression on a piece of paper through a ribbon. It made an impression. If you hit it too hard, it would make a deep impression and might, if electric typewriter, it could even go cut a hole in that paper. But that was the idea of type, making an impression. And these people in Thessalonica had that reputation. That is how Paul identified them. You were examples. It's the only church that this particular word is used to describe them in this kind of a context. So what are the qualities of this church? He begins by talking about prayer, praying for them. And I want you to understand, even though prayer is not part of this outline, prayer permeates this outline. Prayer permeates what was going on between Paul and the Thessalonians, that Paul prayed for them. Paul, in chapter 5, asked them to pray for him. Anything that we do in the church has to be based on prayer. We do the work of God in the power of God, and we don't have the power of God unless we are people and churches of prayer. But what does he say about these people? We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers Remembering without ceasing your work of faith. They were people of faith, and that faith resulted in them working. They served God because of their faith. They didn't serve God in order to have faith. They didn't serve God in order to be saved, but they served God because they were saved, because they had put their faith in Jesus Christ. In Titus 2, Paul says, to the people there on the island of Crete who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Not just resigned, well, I'm a believer now, I'm part of the church now, I've got to get involved in good works. 
No, they were zealous of good works. And let me just give you my take on this matter of good works. Good works goes beyond what you do in the church. What you do in serving the church is good works, but it goes beyond that. And I think the simplest way to understand it is this. What we do in obedience to God is good works. If I love my wife as God tells me to, that's good works. If I care for my family as God tells me to, that is good works. If I help my neighbor as God tells me to, that is doing good works. Whether it's in the context of the church, the context of the family, the context of the community, that work in obedience to God's directions in his word to us, that is doing good works. And these people were involved in that as a result of their faith. Now, secondly, they were people of love. And here he combines it with the word labor. You were people who worked because of your faith, served, and now you are people who labor because of your love for God. And the word labor here is the idea of working to the point of exhaustion. In other words, you love God so much that you are willing to sacrifice your own strength and your own desires and your own ambitions in order to serve him, in order to labor for him. The word has a background of physical weariness, of exertion, of being weary from the heat. Uh, It was used of people working in the fields. It was used of soldiers in battle. And we know that ministry serving in the church is exhausting. Now, labor of love, again, is going to extend beyond the church. And if you are serving another person, if you have a family member in your home, and my father lived with us in the last months of his life, and it was a labor of love serving my father, meeting his needs, caring for him. And it's sometimes exhausting. He didn't have the same sleeping schedule that I did. He didn't have the same eating schedule always that I did. Now, what Paul is saying is you are willing to labor to the point of exhaustion, sometimes beyond what you think you can do. You mentioned the Presbyterian Church having VBS this week, but if you've worked in VBS in Vacation Bible School, you know that after, if you start on Monday and you end on Friday, you know after Monday sometimes you're ready to stop. And you just pray, Lord, give us the strength to do a good job for five days, laboring to the point of exhaustion. I think of a mother with a newborn child. Does a mother with a newborn child ever get exhausted? No, she never gets exhausted. It's a breeze. Of course, she's always tired. That baby's awake when she wants to sleep. The baby's sleeping when she's awake. Can you imagine a mother hearing the baby cry and going into the baby's room and looking down in that crib and saying, listen, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, you're three weeks old, get a grip, (laughs) go back to sleep, I'll see you in the morning. 
No, <laughs> that mother is going to care for that baby. Labor to the point of exhaustion because of her love for that child. Paul says these people in Thessalonica had that same mindset, that same heart. A labor of love that often becomes a labor of sacrifice. They were also people of hope. It's this hope that he says is connected to endurance, endurance that comes from hope. Why do we continue? Because we have hope. Why are we not all suicidal? Because we have hope. Why do we endure hardships of life? Because we know we have a heavenly hope. They were people of hope. It was a confident, confident expectation based on the promises of God. You know, there are a lot of people in Cambria that uh, don't have much hope. And as a child of God, you can take hope to them. Say, in the word of God, there is hope. In the person of Jesus Christ, there is hope. In the fellowship of a church family, there is hope, supporting one another and caring for one another. So they're people of faith, hope, and love, that same triad of qualities that we find in 1 Corinthians 13. They were also people of genuine conversion in verse 4, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, much assurance. They were people who were genuinely saved. When I first went to Santa Maria in 1990 to pastor Pine Grove Baptist Church, a lady in the church came to me and she said, would you go visit my daughter and her husband? They hadn't been married for too long at that time. The girl had grown up in the church and she married an unbeliever. And I went to uh, their home. I talked to, uh, to them. I talked to her husband, Dave, who was out back under a, a shade tree working on his old El Camino. And we talked about what he was doing uh, on the car and so on, and I gave him my business card and invited him to come to church, and guess what? The next Sunday, he wasn't there. Uh, and he wasn't there for a while until one day he came knocking on the church door in an afternoon, and he said, Pastor, can I talk to you? And so Dave came in, and we started meeting together about once a week. What brought Dave to my office was the fact that his wife had left him. He knew where she was, and he knew who she was with. He always remained faithful to his wife, and we just saw them in town this last week, and they were together. They're still faithful. But it took a while for him to woo her back into his life. But during that time, Dave became a believer. His life was changed. And there's so many things that, had hap that hap was happening in his life that, that was just amazing, including getting off of drugs and alcohol, of getting a legitimate job instead of working under the table, of uh, getting a job where he's building a retirement and, and contributing to the community and so on. But he also began getting involved in the ministry of the church and would do some ushering, and then the church elected him to the trustee board. And for a number of years, he was the chairman of the trustee board. Now, why would a church elect somebody to be the chief financial officer of the church who had 
been in drugs and alcohol, who'd been in and out of jail, who had all kinds of problems in his background, who'd had marital problems, not of his own doing, as I mentioned. Why would a church put that person in that position? Because they saw a genuine conversion, and they saw a period of time of spiritual growth. They recognized his natural abilities. They recognized his spiritual gifts. They recognized that he was a man who was maturing in Christ. And they said, on the basis of that, we want you to be a leader within the church. He was a man that, made a, that had a genuine conversion. And part of that process with the church was the next uh, quality that we have here in verse 6, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Imitators, and that's the word in the ESV, and that's the literal term, uh, mimickers, imitators. But they were followers. Now, was Paul there to get a following for himself exclusively? No, he was there to, to, to lead people to Christ, followers of us and of the Lord. We need human leaders, but we don't need human leaders who say, follow me exclusively. Human leaders are there to facilitate people following God. You are followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. There was persecution that went along with their conversion with joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became examples. They were people of joy. Dave was involved in some of our discipleship ministries and our leadership training with our men, our men's ministries, and he got involved in that. And he grew, and, and that gave us a, an, a way to measure his growth, to observe his growth, and for the other men in the church to see that growth. So a church that's going to have an influence is a church that's going to train people. It's going to disciple people. It's going to help you to maximize your abilities and your spiritual gifts in the context of your home, your job, your community, and the local church. But they were people of joy. And I want to just emphasize that because it is so important. Those people that are looking for hope are not looking for hope in people who are not joyful. Let me explain it this way. If people come in here as a guest on a Sunday morning, maybe it's the first time they've been to church in many years, maybe they're new in the community, but they're looking for something. And all they find is people that are sorrowful, dour, no joy, uh, depressing, that they talk to two or three people and they feel worse than when they got here. The lack of joy is not going to minister to their life. Why should they come on Sunday and get that when they can get that every other day of the week where they work or in some other context of life? But if they come and they find that people in First Baptist Church are joyful people, that they're happy in the Lord, that they're encouraging, they have the same problems, they have the same situations of life that everybody else does, but yet they're people of joy and of hope. Now, now you can shine as a light 
and influence and impact their lives because the joy of the Lord is in you and showing through you. That's the people in Thessalonica. Though they received the word in much affliction, they were people of joy. And then they were people of evangelism in verse 8. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia is where Thessalonica and Philippi were in northern part of Greece, and Achaia where Greece or where uh, Corinth was in the southern part of Greece. So it spread through that whole area, and, and then beyond that area, your faith toward God has gone out. Now, part of it was because of the location of Thessalonica. It was on a major trade route, and so uh, there was a lot of commerce that was going on through and in and out of, of uh, Thessalonica. And so uh, that facilitated that influence that way. Uh, today we're not we're not dependent on major trade routes. We're only uh, dependent on satellite links to have an influence around the world. But these people, the 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 gospel went forth from Thessalonica because people were genuinely saved. They were discipled, and they were taking the gospel with them wherever they went on that major trade route that went from uh, Istanbul in the. Uh, east, clear to the Adriatic coast in the west, 500-mile-long trade route that these people traveled. When we were in seminary in, in Tacoma, Washington, we were at a church that was close, right in between McCord Air Force Base and Fort Lewis Army Base. And as military people would move in and, and get involved in the church and get saved for the ministry of the church or grow in their faith, from that church, the gospel went out literally around the world because of the strategic location of that church. But I want you to think about this, that God has strategically located you in your life. Where you go to school, the community things you're involved in, the sports teams you're involved in, your job, uh, your home, your neighborhood. Wherever he has put you, I want you to... to Think about it as being strategically placed there by God to have an impact. You may complain about that neighbor, but maybe God has brought that neighbor there next door to you so you can influence them and have an impact on their lives. That you can share the gospel with them. That you can show Christian love to them. When we first moved to our neighborhood, Margie started making cookies at Christmas and taking to about five six families around our house. After a couple years, some of those neighbors started bringing us cookies at Christmas as well. And it formed a bond between us and those people that we could influence them, we could impact them with our lives and with our witness, trying to shine as light. So think about where God has put you. And maybe the person that you work with that's the hardest to work with the schoolmates that's the most difficult, the teacher that's the hardest on you, the coach that's the most difficult, the neighbor that just never can turn the music down at the right time of day or turns it always up at the wrong time of the night, maybe that's the person God has put you there to impact. And then the last one is they were people of expectation in verse 10. See, part of their genuine conversion is in verse 9. 
You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. Here's their expectation, waiting for the rapture of the church, waiting based on the resurrection whom he raised from the dead. There's, there's no waiting for him if he never left. If he's still in the ground and he's not coming back, we're not waiting. We wait because he's resurrected and ascended to heaven and promised to come back. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Eternal wrath. I think also here perhaps a reference to the wrath of the tribulation period, that he delivers us from that. It's expectant waiting. So those very quickly are seven qualities of this influential church in Thessalonica. They were people of faith and love and hope, of genuine conversion, of discipleship, of evangelism, and of expectancy. And so I have to ask you this, where are you strong and where are you weak, both individually and as a church or as a ministry within the church? What actions can you take to strengthen yourselves and your church in these qualities? What is your church known for in this community? What's the reputation of First Baptist Church in Cambria? And to recognize where God has strategically located you in life and resolve to be a light for him, to make an impact on people where he has put you. And I want to encourage you to help your pastor as he leads you to be a church with an ever-growing impact. Pray for him, to work alongside him, to listen to his passion for God and for this church to renew your commitment to be the church God has designed you to be. Allow God to use you in such a way that you influence this community for eternity. An influence that is of eternal consequence. To be that kind of a church, to be that kind of a lighthouse as you serve God together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. Thank you for its rich history. I thank you for its continuing faithfulness. I thank you for uh, the pastors who have served it uh, so well over the years. And I pray, Lord, that you will encourage these folks to continue to do what you've called them to do to continue to fulfill the mission for which this church was begun, to make an impact, to be a church of influence, that they would be known as a church that loves you, loves your word, and loves this community. pray in Jesus' name, amen.